Well, good morning, church. Grateful that you're here with us at our online service. We're continuing in our series that we're calling Doctrine, where we're looking at just foundational truths of the Christian faith. And it's our desire here at Providence North that we wouldn't just uh, attend church and come to church events, but that we would be a people that would deeply understand who God is and how he's made us and uh, what he's like and his nature and his character. And so for the last five weeks, we've been delving into that and we're going to continue in the weeks ahead. Um, And so last week, what we did is we looked at the doctrine of the fall of mankind and sin and the ramifications and the effects that that had on all of us as God's people. Um, And this week, we're going to see how God responds to man's sin. We're going to see how God responds to us being deceived and taking that which God told us not to. Um, And God is going to respond uh, with something that the Bible uses and talks about again and again and again. And it's this word. It's the word covenant. Uh, The word covenant is this mega theme in our Bible. The word covenant is used over and over and over again in our Bible, but it's a word that we often don't use quite a bit or we don't really use at all. And so uh, before we jump into that, let me ask you just a quick question to begin to get our mind uh, sort of seated with this idea. Um, The question is this, who has betrayed you in your life? Uh, Who has... Um, whom have you trusted, have you loved, have you opened up to, have you cared for and served and gave to, and they in turn turned around and betrayed you either with their words or with their actions. Think about this. Who has betrayed you most painfully? How did they breach your trust? Um, how was that relationship Now, think about that. Who comes to mind when I ask you that question? Uh, It's a tough question to think about. A lot of us like to just bury it and put it behind us and not ever think about that. But um, who comes to mind? Whose face comes to mind when you think of that question? Who has betrayed you most painfully? And then think about this. How did you respond when they betrayed you? What was your reaction? How, how did you feel? What was going on inside of you? Do you remember their face? Do you remember their voice? Do you remember what they did, what they said? How did that uh, make you feel and how did you respond? Do you still hold on to that feeling? Um, do you think about that? Do you, does it maybe still keep you up at night? Um, Well, as we move through this doctrine of covenant, I think many of us fail to think about uh, the perspective of God and the perspective that, uh, that we have betrayed God in the most profound ways imaginable. That our sin and our folly and our failings and our betrayals of God on almost daily basis are an affront to God because of our sin. And a lot of times we fail to understand um, and we fail to think about God's perspective on us as his people in the ways that we have failed him and the way that we have uh, misspoken and misstepped and betrayed him. The reality is, is that we read the scripture and as we look at the story of Genesis, 
We have betrayed God. If you remember, God made the heavens and the earth. He carefully prepared this amazing place for us to live on, for us to thrive on, for us to image God uh, together with our wives, with our families. God uh, made us, our first parents, Adam and Eve, in his likeness and in his image. God blessed them. God spoke to them. God honored them. God gave us freedom. God gave them tremendous responsibility. God gave them this amazing garden to cultivate and to thrive and to have all that they needed. And God was in relationship with them. And he said, eat of any of the trees in this garden except one. And they were naked and they were without shame. This beautiful picture of God's intimacy with us as his children. Uh, God brought Adam and Eve together, created marriage. He created intimacy in the marriage. He created joy. He created pleasure and he gave it to man. And our first parents and every one of us since then have absolutely, completely betrayed God. You did, and I did. Uh, We disrespect him. We disregard what he said. We disobeyed him. We dishonored him. And we do it again and again and again. And when you think about that, the betrayal that God has endured is worse than any betrayal that you and I will ever face. Because he endures it with anyone that has ever been made. Um, Think about that. If you had done all of this good, if you had poured out all of this mercy and grace and goodness and then were sinned against, how would you respond? How should God respond to this affront? What is amazing is how God does respond. Um, you and I, we typically respond in one of two ways. Uh, we either uh, fight, we sort of, we, we put our fists together and we confront uh, that betrayal and we try to get even or we try to get back. Or some of us, when we feel betrayed and we uh, are faced with that, we just, we run, uh, we hide We uh, build walls up and we do not let anyone else in so that we cannot be hurt again. So some of us respond in fight and some of us respond in flight. Some of us confront it, some of us run away. But God responds in a very unique way. He responds in a way that is called covenant. Um, God doesn't fight us and God doesn't run away from us. Uh, God does something different, and the Bible describes it as a covenant relationship. So what is a covenant? This word shows up again and again. It is a mega theme in our Bible. There are covenants between human beings. There are covenants between people and God. But what we're going to talk about today, because we simply don't have time to get into these other ones, is uh, the covenant between God and us. Uh, between God and us. So let me define covenant this way. A covenant is a relationship with God on his terms. 
because he is the creator and we are the created ones. He defines the terms of the relationship. Um, and when we look at these covenants between God and man, it shows us something striking. It shows us that God is incredibly gracious. See, God owes us nothing. God gave us everything. We betrayed him, and he therefore owes us nothing. He could have taken Adam and Eve and said, listen, you sinned against me. I gave you nothing but grace and mercy and love, and you betrayed me. You guys blew it. Everyone's condemned to hell. Game over. I'm done. He could have done that. That would be within reason based on our response of what God had done for us. But we see in the nature and in the character and in the mind of God that God is gracious, that he pursues Adam and Eve, and he pursues you and I, even in our sin, for this purpose, for his glory and our great joy. Um, second thing we see in covenant, we see that God is sovereign that God actually initiates covenant relationship, that God is the first mover in covenant relationship. We don't ask him to respond to us. We don't say, God, can you please help fix this? God steps in when we have run away and hidden and says, I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to initiate relationship. He pursues, he is sovereign, he is in control. He does this of his own accord. He's not convinced to do it by us. He does it in his own will. He says, behold, often in the scriptures, I establish my covenant with you. This is God setting up relationship and how it will function. He says, I'm the Lord, you were created, I will set up the rules of this relationship. The fourth thing it reveals is that God is holy. When we look at covenant, we see that God is holy. Literally, the language that's often used in the Old Testament when describing uh, covenants is a cutting covenant. Um, and what, here's what this means. So in, in other words, oftentimes in the Old Testament, to show covenant, people entering into a covenant with God, they would take an animal uh, and they would sacrifice the animal. They'd actually split the animal in half, separating all of its parts, and there would be blood. There would be, uh, you can just imagine the gore of that scene of a sacrificial animal and they would walk through the animal that had been split apart with the blood and all the stuff in between them. And it was the cutting of a covenant. And what this signified was that God is in covenant with now this person. And if this person breaks the vow of that covenant, that person would say, I'm accepting the same fate as this animal. Intense. Because God is holy. In other words, I should be put to death if I don't hold up to the end of this covenant. The fifth thing it shows uh, when we look at covenant is that God is loving. That he blesses, that even though we don't deserve it, even though uh, we've run from him, that he wants our hearts and he wants our minds and he wants to change us and he wants to woo us and bring us back to himself. It shows also that God is just that he deals with sin, and oftentimes in a covenant there are conditions that he doesn't simply just uh, overlook sin and folly and rebellion, but the covenant is the way that God deals with sin. 
and that he establishes in the covenant what is right and what is wrong. And he shows us what he, how he will discipline us when we sin. And yet he continues to pursue us even in the midst of it. The seventh thing that we, when we look at covenant is this word that often comes up again and again when describing covenant in God's people. This relationship between God and his people is a word, Hebrew word called hesed. And the Old Testament word hesed is this beautiful word. And the Bible speaks of covenant relationships. It is often using this word, this, the hesed of God. And it's this, it's this massive idea that is, that is only really used of God. And it's, it incorporates love. The hesed of God incorporates grace and mercy and patience and kindness and affection and loyalty and devotion and compassion and understanding and affection. All of this is the hesed of God. And so the Bible tells us that God is in covenant relationship with us and the way in which he does so is hesed. And again, remember, God is doing this to his betrayers and to his enemies. God is doing this and giving this to us, to those that have sinned against him. God is responding to us in a way that many of us would never have responded to our worst enemies. And I think one of the best ways that we can see and understand covenant is when we look at the relationship as God, our Father. Uh, we're given language like this from God. God says, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's fatherly language. The best way that I know how to really understand covenant is for me is my personal relationship with my wife and with my kids. For example, it does not matter what they do. They're my kids. I love them. Uh, it doesn't mean that I will approve or overlook their sin or their folly. I will deal with it as their father, but it does not mean that I will cease to be their father. I will always be their father, even when they sin and run. I will pursue them. I will run after them. I will love them. I will um, call them back to what is good, right, and true. I will not give up on them. And people who are in covenant relationship with God are a part of his family. And God deals with us in that same manner. He comes after us. He pursues us. The Bible uses that type of language. And he uses covenants in the Bible so that he is relatable to you and I. And we see it first. Um, we see it really all over Scripture. And, and this is called, when we look at the covenants, there's debate on how many covenants we see in the Bible. We're going to look at four uh, as we survey the Old Testament. Uh, but this is often referred to as the drama of redemption, that God gives these key people in covenant relationship in Adam, which we looked at last week. We're going to see Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and finally Jesus. And one after the next, we see God's has said covenant faithfulness to undeserving sinners. Now, um, let me just, as a side note, as we're looking at this idea, this depth of relationship, this pursuing love, this uh, mercy and grace of God in this covenant relationship, the buzzword right now in church 
um, and it really has been for a long time, is community, 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 right? We need to find community. We need to find this community. We need to do this type of community. And community is great, uh, but the Bible speaks of something deeper than just community because really the goal of community is just, I want to be with friends and I want to hang out. Uh, but if your goal is just to have community for community's sake, I've seen as a pastor that oftentimes the foundation of that crumbles. Um, the deepest connection the Bible talks about is covenant community. And that's community with God at the center. God as the motivating factor to know, love, serve, guide, shepherd, and be known by others. It's God at the centerpiece of our connection with one another. It's covenant community, which is why what we call a covenant church membership. It's not just attending church events, but it's giving of yourself to a group of people with God as the center. God as the motivator. So uh, we're going to do a quick overview. We don't have a lot of time, uh, um, but we're going to look at the four sort of main covenants in the Bible. First, we have the Noahic covenant. And that's found in Genesis 6, 5 through 9. So up until this point, right, we have Adam and Eve. They sinned. They betrayed God. Uh, yet God still pursues them and loves them um, and comes after them. We have generation after generation after generation after generation uh, that go by. And we are uh, amidst God's people um, generations later and how do you think that, that humanity would respond after a loving, merciful, pursuing God did not just wipe them out, but continued to give them grace and mercy and continued to show up and be their God? How do you think humanity responded to uh, God in this way? Did they say, oh man, God is amazing. We want to worship him. We want to uh, love him. We want to... Um, we want to be with him forever. He's wonderful. Here's how they responded. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. More betrayal, more evil, more running from him. Verse 6, and the Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 7, so the Lord God said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God says, we're going to start over. Verse 8, it's very important. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, favor. That's an incredible word. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> favor is the Hebrew word for grace. Unmerited favor from the Lord. It wasn't um, Noah's goodness that got the eye of the Lord. It was God deciding to place favor on this one, Noah. Unmerited grace. So here we see something. We enter into covenant with God, 
not by our goodness, not by our works, but by grace. Even in Genesis, at the very beginning, with Noah. So if you are a Christian, and you are in covenant relationship with God through Christ Jesus our Lord, there is no boasting because you didn't earn it, you didn't find it, you didn't discover it, you didn't unearth it. We've just found grace. That's it. God said, I choose this one and I'm gonna pour out my love and grace and mercy on this one, not of his own accord, but of my good accord on him. And then the flood comes and everyone is wiped out except Noah and his family who built a boat in the middle of a desert because God told them. Chapter nine, verse eight, skip down. God says this. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, behold, I will establish my covenant. There's our word. My covenant with you and your offspring after you. So he's saying, I'm gonna establish a covenant with you and it's gonna continue forward. With every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as can come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall I shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again sh- there shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I've set my bow in the clouds, a rainbow. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So God said, I will never again flood the earth and destroy all of humanity. And the rainbow is a sign of that covenant promise for you and for generations to come. And it is for us today. It should be a reminder of God's hesed covenant between us. But man would soon, after the story, turn from God again, yet again, to make a name for himself. And we see that happen at the Tower of Babel. We see the introduction of other gods. And so what God did is God scattered his people amongst the nations. He began uh, new nations for himself. And the second covenant is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And the key word here with the Abrahamic covenant is is the word restore, right? If the Noahic covenant, the key word is restraint. God didn't wipe everyone out. He left the remnant and he gave his grace and favor on, on, um, on this family and gave a sign of the covenant. The Abrahamic covenant uh, a word for us to hang on to is restore. In Genesis 12, one through three, God chose for himself a man who will restore his people to himself. Abraham is that man. And in that covenant, God promises three things. He promises him land, he promises him a people, and he promises him blessing. So the land was Israel, the people were the Jews, and the blessing was that um, these people would be the touchstone of God which all nations surrounding would know who God was through these people. That's the covenant that he made with Abraham. Um, Bless those who bless you, God said. Curse those who curse you. And God made good on all of his promises. And they grew as a nation. 
They grew with a land. They grew as a people. Uh, later in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Egypt would enslave these people. Um, God saw them, heard them in their affliction, and God cursed the Egyptians through Moses and brought them safely out in the Exodus. Our third covenant that we get to that we see in the scripture is the Mosaic covenant. And the key word here is the word reveal. So now, right, this these people had grown into a great multitude of God's people. God brought them to Mount Sinai to make a covenant with them. And this covenant was to serve as a temporary teacher of the righteous standard of God. And this righteous standard of God given to us in the law through the Mosaic covenant reveals our sin until the coming of Christ. Leviticus 26 tells us, um, verse one, um, have no other gods before you. Verse two, keep the Sabbath. And verse three, keep his law and all of his commandments. So up until this point, up until we get to uh, the Mosaic covenant, all covenants were upheld and kept by God himself, right? We, it didn't matter really what we did. He kept pursuing us. But here, what we see in the Mosaic covenant is we have conditions for man, right? And when we sin and when we don't meet those conditions, our need for God is revealed and it will show us a need for a sacrifice, through the Mosaic Covenant. So the Mosaic Covenant was a temporary covenant until Christ would come to fulfill every requirement that it set forth. Christ would be the perfect covering that our many sins for all who would believe by faith. The fourth covenant that we see, the final covenant in the Old Testament is the Davidic Covenant. And the key word here is the reign of God. So we had 500 years of judges and chaos and uh, sin and rebellion. And God then appoints a king named David. And David, the scriptures tell us, loved the Lord his God with all of his heart. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, God made a covenant with David that he would give David's son Solomon three things. He would give him a throne, he would give him a house, and he would give him a kingdom everlasting. So after David died, Solomon received the benefits of this covenant with the most prosperous kingdom in Israel's history. But the covenant promise was supposed to be forever. A kingdom that lasted forever, that endured forever. Solomon eventually dies. And so what we see is this fourth covenant has a secondary meaning. It reveals something to us. It shows us something. It points to something greater. That David's greater son, not just Solomon, of another nature who would be Christ Jesus and would be from David's royal line. He would come 490 years later and he leads us to our final most glorious covenant that we are in right now today in Christ, the new covenant. And the key word for the new covenant is regenerate. So after David, after many evil kings, God sent 
Israel into exile into Babylon. Um, but before he does, he promises them in Jeremiah 31 that he will bring them back one day and he will give them a new covenant. Verse 32 says that they've been like babies. They've had their hand held. But verse 33, one day they will be as sons and daughters and will be given new hearts. So in other words, the law was for babies to show us our error and to teach us of our sin. And the grace of God is coming and God is going to write it on our hearts. John the Baptist would come and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, pointing to Jesus. Jesus spoke of this new covenant at the Last Supper. And he tells us that uh, it's not just for Israel anymore, but it's for the Gentiles as well, and that we would be grafted into this amazing plan of God that by grace, the undeserving would get the one true king and that we, the undeserving, would benefit of the great grace and covenant of God that though we betrayed him again and again and again and again and sinned against him again and again, God pursued us through history, through time. He pursued us. He would write his law on our hearts. He would give us uh, new life. And now we wait here in this age of the new covenant, eagerly awaiting the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who came and grafted you and I into the family of God. And so in Christ, all the covenants will be fulfilled. All of God's purposes for God's children to rule and enjoy him forever will be accomplished once and for all through Christ when he comes again. So those, friends, are the covenants of God. This is how God has dealt with us through history, through human history. And it's not just covenants are not a contract. They are uh, established by God and kept by God. Therefore, even when we break them, he still upholds his end. He still pursues and he's been doing it since the very, very beginning. So quick, quick practical application for us as we close as we look at these ideas of these covenants. How does covenant inform our lives today? We don't use these words a lot. We don't think about the idea of covenant a lot, but God does a lot. And I think we need to reshape our minds with regard to covenant. So the first, the first thing that we can really begin to reshape our lives in the idea of covenant is marriage. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is not you uphold your end and I'll uphold my end. And if not, contract null and void. Marriage is covenant. It's, it's not 50-50 and we meet in the middle. It's I give you 100% even if you give me zero. Because that is how God has dealt with us. Secondarily, uh, covenant language, covenant ideas transform our view of parenting. I'm in covenant relationship with my four children. No matter what they do, I'm their dad. Even if they grow up and wander and stray from the faith, I'm still their dad and I'm going to pursue and love and come after them. Just as God has done for me when I have strayed and run and sinned against him. It does not mean I will condone their sin, but it means they're mine and I love them. 
Uh, and just like in marriage, my love is not conditional on if they are good children that obey all the rules. Uh, they're my kids. I'm their dad. No matter what. Um, and lastly, this also affects uh, how we view church. We live in a consumer-based culture and society. We live in the Bible Belt South that uh, is really good at, uh, cons- we are really good at consuming religious goods and services. In fact, many of us just uh, look at church as a buffet. Well, I'll go over here for this, I'll go over here for that, so long as they meet all my needs and get what I want out of it. Um, so we take and we take and we take. Covenant is not about taking. Covenant is about uh, serving and loving and being grace-filled. It's the hesed of God, right? It's that those ideas. And so that's why when what we do at Providence is we call our church membership covenant membership. Um, we take this serious. It's I covenant together to love and pursue Jesus and I do so for the good of my church together, all of us collectively. So this means financially, it means prayerfully, it means with unity, it means we serve together. It's, it means this, it means I promise not to just take, 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 but I promise to serve and give and lay my life down for others. That's covenant community. Church without covenant uh, it's just an exchange of religious goods and services. And when you find one better that you like their goods and services a little bit more, you'll just go to the next one. Covenant is deep, abiding, and lasting. Um, and enduring. And it doesn't jump from one thing to the next just because you're entertained. Um, in covenant, we are... We open ourselves up to be fully known by God and by one another. And that's a beautiful thing. And it can be difficult, but it's good. It's good. Um, God's covenant with us is a reflection of his goodness, not our goodness. God's covenants, the way that we enter into relationship with each other is that we extend great grace and mercy because in God's covenant language and relationship with us, that's what he does for us. And so from Adam to Noah to Abraham to David and to Jesus, God loves, God comes after us, God forgives, God embraces, God is faithful to the faithless, God gives good to even evil, and God is dependable to those who even wander and stray and he brings us back through grace and love because he's a God of covenant and he keeps it even when we don't. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we love you. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are a God that pursues us, that tracks us down even when we wander and stray and thank you that you've been doing that since the garden that you would provide a way even in our folly and even in our sin and in our rebellion and our great betrayals against you, that throughout the redemptive history, uh, God, you have come after us again and again and again and again and you've made a way. And we thank you that Jesus is the one that fulfills perfectly all of these covenants 
and that when we are found in him, Lord, we receive all the benefits of your covenant love through history and will be forevermore in eternity. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.